listening to Cinema Jaw, the greatest movies podcast ever, recorded on location from our respective homes in Chicago. My name is Matt Kay, and with me is... Rye the Movie Guy, and sitting alongside us is Phil Me and Phil. Hello, how are we doing tonight? Very excited tonight, as, as it is a big episode for us, Matt. Our top 10 films of 2022. Yeah, this is, this is the, uh, the culmination Right. Is this is this our final episode of uh, 2022 or are we going to do another one? I we're probably going to. We got to talk about this after we get done recording today. Squeeze in an avatar review for okay. next week since we're going to be late on that one. We're going to do spoilers and everything. Nice, nice. Okay. That sounds good. Yeah, but, but this episode, this is our top 10 of the year. Yes, this is what we work for all year. We see all these movies and we finally narrow it down to 10 films and then after it's all done, we wonder what the hell was Matt thinking? <laughs> that seems to be a running theme. Although, I, th- I, to my credit, and I may have said this last year, I've been pretty good for the last like three or four years at least. You're rolling, buddy. You're rolling. Yeah, I've stepped yep. up my game. You sure have. Speaking of stepping up the game here, Matt, we have a guest who's joining us. He joins us every year now to recap the year. Who do we got, Matt? A fine tradition. Brian Tallarico is with us. He is at RogerEbert.com. He's one of the Chicago Film Critics Association. I think he's not the, even a member. He's the president. The president now, I was going to say. Yeah, every year we have Brian back on the show. He's, he's just running laps around us. This guy's unstoppable. He he's the best. So we got Brian recapping his top 10 films of the year. And, Matt, it is still James Cameron month, so we will start there. Phil, how about a James Cameron fact? Yes, this week we actually have a really, really good one. Uh, And since uh, we're celebrating James Cameron because of Avatar 2, it's even related to Avatar 1. The Na'vi language used in the Avatar films was created entirely from scratch. Uh, There was a linguist, Dr. Paul R. Fromer, uh, that was hired. James Cameron hired him to construct the language that would be easy for actors to pronounce, but would also not resemble any human language. Uh, and for that, Frommer created about 1,000 different words in that one movie alone. I see you. I see you, Frommer. I can barely speak the language. Well done, Matt My K. native tongue. <laughs> Matt, you still, you still have not seen Avatar The Way of Water. This is correct. You did? I did. And we'll see if it comes up tonight. Maybe we'll be talking about it on somebody's top 10. Okay. Brian, Brian loves a blockbuster. Who doesn't? I agree. So no review this week, Jawheads, and we may get to trivia. We'll see how long we go with the top 10. But we really wanted to devote this entire podcast to our favorite 10 films of the year. And joining us once again, it's always a pleasure. Without further ado, Brian Tallarico. He is the managing editor over at RogerEbert.com and the president of the Chicago Film Critics Association. Brian, welcome back to Cinema Jaw. Thanks, guys. Happy to be here. Always a pleasure. Yeah, it's a fun tradition. I think this is, uh, I think 2014 was the first one. So how many years is that? Nine? This might be the ninth. It very well could be. Yeah. I was going to say, let's start in the jaw box. I don't even know if we're going to do a jaw box. It is insane. Um, Brian, I thought it was a heck of a year for movies. I thought it was great. How about yourself? Yeah, I think it was very strong. Um, I made a crack earlier when we were talking that it was the year where Marvel's grip lessened on film going. And I think that's true. I think there were some interesting blockbusters this year that didn't have Marvel characters in them, like Top Gun and Avatar and even the Batman and a few other interesting things. And people got back to the movies. 
I'm a little worried about people only going to see event movies, but that's a much longer conversation. But in general, I think the art form as it is, is strong. And I think it's going to figure out this weird period we're in now where no one knows what a movie is and things premiere on streaming and people don't know about it and all that stuff. I think it'll figure itself out surely through the quality of it. I think it's a good year. Also, it was great. I went out to uh, the Toronto Film Festival and the first movie I walked into was a documentary and I was about 20 minutes early and who's sitting there, none other than Brian in the theater and we got a you know good 20 minutes to catch up yeah. how great was it to be back out on the festival circuit that was the first yep. time you since covid had been out to a festival correct yep that was my first one since january 20 sundance yeah and um and we saw a good movie that one that one's almost made my top 10 actually that's in my Same next here. batch um moon age daydream um great david bowie documentary yeah i it was really cool to be back at a film festival and I'm looking forward to going to Sundance in a few weeks. I might go to South by I'm thinking about it in March, which is a really fun festival if you've never been and really kind of affordable. Uh, And I think it's interesting that like um, everything everywhere all at once premiered there this year and which is a now becoming a reasonable best picture contender. And Coda is the first Sundance movie to win best picture last year. We might get our first South by movie to win best picture this year, which is a really interesting little piece of trivia. So, but yeah, awesome. it's South by's like indie stuff is not great. Oh, we're getting off topic. And this, that's how these, that's how this edition always gets up going two and a half hours. I start right. talking about things that have nothing to do with what you asked. All right, I'm good. Let's go. <laughs> I, I want to go to South by too, man. I, I oh, agree. It would be, a, it, it's a party scene too, which is awesome. Yeah. Oh my God. There's no screenings before like 4 PM. None of that, like 8 AM nonsense. Like they do at TIFF. Cause they yeah. know you're going to drink and eat barbecue the night after and like yeah the, i never go to parties at tiff or sundance because there's just no time you're always doing stuff but south by like three movies a day max party the best food of any film festival because the barbecue is amazing um and the food in utah is and toronto is let me just say not great so mm-hmm. <laughs> austin food is significantly better and yeah the parties man i I'm going to humble brag for a second. I went to the Ready Player One premiere there, the world oh, wow. premiere of Ready Player One, and I got into the party afterwards where Joan Jett played in oh. like an 80s themed thing, and she killed. She tore the room apart in like a private party. It was amazing. So, yeah, that's what South by is. South by is just like crazy stuff like that. That's, that's insane. Awesome. That's insane. I would yeah. love to be at that. Yeah. Good stuff. So, we all agree, very strong year for movies. And before. Uh, we kick it off with our top tens. We did throw some questions out to some past guests uh, that did. come on the show. Yeah. And we got some good responses. And, and one of them, Jack C. Newell, he has sure. directed uh, 42 Grams, Monuments, and his film this year, How Not to Build a School in Haiti, came out. And Jack wrote us uh, a good response. Did he not, Matt? He, he did. He wrote this. His favorite film of the year is Top Gun Maverick and his reasoning. I'd say it was, I'd say this one was my favorite because it was the best movie going experience of 2022. I have to admit that part of this is due to my low expectations for the film as I walked into the theater, but the film had more heart than I expected and gave chances for some emotional acting moments and had more depth than the first one. It caught me off guard when I was all of a sudden caring about what happened to everyone in the movie. The other reason was I saw it with a filmmaker friend who has an arguably unhealthy obsession with Tom Cruise. So the vibe going in was one of 
openness and being along for the ride, pun intended. Finally, cinema and cinema going can provide unique experiences that you can't get at your home TV or through going to the theater or seeing a dance performance. And that is a spectacle. Sometimes spectacle is musical, raw emotion on screen, dinosaurs and aliens, and sometimes it's the thrill of what Top Gun Maverick brought to the screen. Well said. Well said. That kicks us off. Maybe Top Gun will come up once or twice later on today. Who knows? Who knows? Brian, you have the honor of kicking things off with your number 10 pick. All right. I warned these two gentlemen before we started that my list this year is maybe more obscure than ever. And it's been a little obscure in the past. Uh, I don't have an English language film for a few spots. So just a just a heads up there. And I don't have a movie that I imagine more than like 12 people have seen. For, well, no, one of the foreign language films I have a lot of people saw, but most of them are small and obscure. We're going to start with one of those, a Polish film about a donkey. Uh, it's named EO. It's by Jerzy Skolomowski, who's like, believe, 87 something like that maybe 90 his first film was in 1960 uh wow yeah so he's got to be 90 or something like that he's a very famous polish filmmaker uh, and an actor and he make he basically this is going to sound like it diminishes it but he discovered drone technology he discovered drone filmmaking and he creates this film that follows a donkey from a circus across the polish and italian landscape and he kind of follows this donkey with his drone and he goes up and down and the cinematography in this thing has already won critics awards it's gorgeous to look at there's not much story to it you're following a donkey across the landscape but i found it absolutely mesmerizing i think it is a wonderful to see a 90 year old polish filmmaker doing something experimental that kind of comments on our relationship to the earth and to animals like the donkey lead character. Uh, it's playing limited release right now in New York and LA. The rest of the country will probably have to see it on VOD. I imagine shortly. I was able to catch this one and, and I agree with how beautiful this film looks and it really packs an emotional punch. I didn't think I was attached as much as I was to the donkey. Would you say, would you say it was an emotional donkey punch? (laughs) I guess I would. Um, But I, I mean, it it really steers towards the end and I really started to feel that emotion start to swell. And I thought, Oh my God, I'm really feeling something for the donkey. It, It really moved me. It's also a very surreal and strange movie. Like, in other words, he's constantly like he'll there'll be a POV shot and you have no idea what it is. Like maybe it's another animal on the side of the road. There's a one point, there's one point I love where the drone, the drone camera work goes up and finds one of those like wind turbines and then starts the, the camera starts to turn with the wind turbine. Like in other words, very clearly calling attention to itself. Uh I just find that kind of like unique experimental filmmaking, especially from a nonagenarian, uh, and in our current film landscape to be kind of refreshing and exciting it's a cool movie yeah i got the screener for it uh, and and this one's been popping up in a lot of research and i get a lot of yeah. emails about it so i'm gonna give it a spin before uh before i vote maybe it'll pop up on my pop, top 10 all right that swings it to me and i'm gonna start this out in true matt k style i'm going with uh matt reeves film the Batman. I'm a sucker, sucker, sucker for Batman. But even, even knowing that, uh, I have been severely disappointed with the um, Ben Affleck Batman films. He was okay. It was fine. But like, it's nobody's really gotten Batman right until this one. R- Robert Pattinson 
steps into those big heavy boots and clunks out of the shadows. The gadgets are like so obviously homemade. The Batmobile just roars. I mean, that's the stuff movie magic is made out of. And I, I got to give credit also to, to Paul Dano as the Riddler, which turned in more of a horror movie kind of performance, like a serial killer vibe. Wonderful. Zoe Kravitz as Catwoman and, and um, Colin Farrell as the Penguin in an unrecognizable makeup. The whole thing was just great. And also Jeffrey Wright as uh, Commissioner Gordon. I, I think he's really the heart and soul of the film. Honestly, he's he's our avatar, not to use that word early in this podcast, but he's our surrogate. You know, the audience relates most always in Batman stories to Commissioner Gordon. Uh, he's the human, the mere human, where, where Batman is like, you know, human perfection. Um, but not quite in this one. He's still learning how to be Batman, which I think was was good, but they didn't lean into that too heavily. Some of the camera work too, like uh, when Batman's walking down a hallway and he gets attacked with guys with automatic weapons. And that's the only light in this scene is when the muzzle flashes go off and you just see Batman's silhouette as he's, you know, beating the crap out of these guys. Very brutal, very violent, but very satisfying. Like you hear the bones crack. It's a good Batman movie. The best maybe. Right up there with Dark Knight, for sure. One not that phrase. far, but I like yeah. it a lot. Uh, I think it's very good. I think it's underrated, actually. And I think, I think it's a better movie than Joker, which for some reason won Oscars and got a Best Picture nomination, but the Batman never would be in that conversation. No. Uh, we yeah. take Matt Reeves for granted. Matt Reeves, who did uh, Rise of the Planet of the Apes. He's got mm -hmm. a very tactile i use the word tactile to describe his movies like the thing i love about the batman is how much it uses like rain and water and fire it's got a very like natural world grounded feeling to it you can wrap your hands around it and feel like the clunk of the boots like you said yeah it yeah. doesn't mm -hmm. feel superficial it feels weighty and heavy but not in a pretentious way um i think it's really good i think it's underrated I'm right with you, Matt. I, I I know a lot of times you keep track of like uh, your top 10 throughout the year. The Batman was on probably for the first half of the year was on my top 10. It started to slide as the year went on. Huge fan also. So if you haven't yep. seen it, Jawheads, do check it out. Um, I want to preface my list by saying that I, I had a, a change uh, about midway through the year. I saw a movie and then listened to all the discourse and discussion and everybody just talking about this movie. And I, I found it fascinating. Um but the movie itself, I didn't really like, nor did you, Matt, too much um, on the surface level. And the movie was Jordan Peele's Nope, mm. which I mean, I loved eating up all the, the content afterwards. But I remember coming out of that movie and thinking like, well, geez, I wasn't really all that scared or, you know, so on and so forth. And when I started coming down to the, from that point on the rest of the year, I thought, go with what I really enjoy before I even dig any deeper. I got to like this on surface level first and foremost. And my number 10 is definitely that. And it is the best horror film of the year. My number 10 pick is Barbarian. And I am so glad that this movie did not get spoiled for me. I don't know how. I believe the press screening was like the day we were leaving for Toronto. And I remember uh, getting to Toronto, having tons of problems with my phone. And finally, connecting to Wi-Fi, and I saw a couple of tweets of people uh, that I follow and know saying like, oh my God, Barbarian, and that's all I had saw, and I thought like, okay, don't look at anything, I'll, I'll check that out eventually. But I didn't get to it until it was on HBO Max, 
And so I'm not going to spoil it either here, Jawheads, in case you haven't seen it. I'll just give you the, the basic synopsis, which is a girl is going to an Airbnb in Detroit, Michigan. It's dark. It's rainy when she gets there. And it turns out that the Airbnb has been double booked and someone is already staying there. And that's all I'm all I knew going into the movie. And from that point on, uh, that first third of the movie plays with our expectations. Uh, I was actually like yelling at the screen. I'm not one to talk to the screen or yell advice, but I was doing it during this movie. It went places I never would have imagined. I had a blast with Barbarian. I I don't know if you've seen this one yet, Matt. I didn't catch up with it yet. No. Brian, have you seen Barbarian? Yeah, I'm a fan. Uh, Mostly. I think... What I like about it is also kind of its flaw. I like that it kind of, without spoiling anything, feels like it's making itself up as it goes along. Like there's a, there's a chaotic energy to the writing here that's almost like, remember that game where you'd start a story and then pass it to somebody else? Barbarian has a little bit of that energy to it. Yeah. Which is, which is admirable, but also I'm not sure its themes really come together. Like it starts to try to, again, it's hard not to spoil, and I, I won't, but it starts to try to reach for something bigger about like toxic masculinity and other things near the end. And I don't think that stuff lands, but I do, I'll say this about it. I see a lot of horror movies where like they threaten to go off the rails and then they just don't, it's just lame. Barbarian goes off the rails. And so, so I always find it a little admirable when it's like, Oh, okay, we're going to get crazy. Let's get nuts here. And so, yeah. When we're doing our reviews throughout the year, we always call them, uh, you know, do you have a jaw-dropping moment in the movie? And this was quite literally a jaw-dropping moment as it it just got deeper and deeper. Not Uh, like four. Yes. And it was just like, oh, my God, I can't believe this yeah, movie's I think going it's because it's making itself up as it goes along. <laughs> like it's kind of like, okay, what what's the craziest thing we can do here? And then now what happens? It's got that kind of, which is cool, but also I'm not sure it all comes together. So. Well, I had a blast with Barbarian. That's my number 10 pick. Into our nines we go, guys. Oh, me. Um, a Japanese filmmaker who I think is one of the best living filmmakers named Hirokazu Koreeda. He's done films called Shoplifters, Nobody Knows. His latest is called Broker, which I don't think is out in like any market yet. I think it hits New York and L.A. Next week, um, it stars Song Kang-ho, who most people will know from Parasite. Uh, he was the lead in Parasite. And uh, he and another gentleman, believe it or not, it's a heartwarming dramedy about child trafficking, which is kind of a hard pitch, but he and another gentleman, yeah. they, uh, um, when you know, the churches, you can drop off an unwanted baby. Um, women can drop off unwanted children at churches in Korea. And, uh, they, these two gentlemen grab the baby before the church can take it and just put it in an orphanage or foster home. And they sell it to an American couple who wants a child again, not necessarily great, but maybe not bad for the child. But again, I'm not here for that. Korea makes movies about, unusual family structures and unusual family ideas and that's what emerges here when one of the women who drops a child off comes back for her kid and kind of discovers the whole system going on here and they form a makeshift family and i think i love his films they're all after the storm like father like son you should see them all and they're all kind of especially the recent ones based on the idea that family is more about who you you end up with than who you are biologically related to uh, and I think that's a fascinating theme to explore through all his films. And he does very well here in a movie. Song Kang-ho won Best Actor at Cannes for it. He's great. 
Uh, and it's just incredibly, it ends up being an incredibly moving film. I can't wow. recommend it enough. Yeah. I have seen this one. I know I missed it in, uh, at, at TIFF, but I, I did catch the uh, screener. And you're right. I haven't seen all of his films, the ones that you're mentioning, and I do have to catch up with them. I loved Shoplifters and yeah. this one as yeah. well. The, the theme in Shoplifter and Broker is very similar. similar. Very, very, very similar. Um, yep. but like Father, I, like I loved Son, it. too, After the Storm. A lot of his films recently have done this. What does it mean to be a family? Like, in that, And they're all that kind of theme. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, good stuff, Broker. Nice pick at number nine, Matt. What do you got? You know, I'm realizing I probably shouldn't follow Brian. You know, my my <laughs> picks are all going to sound bad by comparison. That's why this is so good. That's why we love this podcast. It's the oh, entire right. breadth. And I get to some big stuff later. Don't worry, not for right. a while, but later. Good, good. This hey, this is this is tough to argue against. It is it is a a, a well received movie to say the very least. Tom Gormican gave us one of the more bonkers perf- uh, screenplays and the performance of Nicolas Cage once again hits my top 10 oh list. My. This Nicolas Cage may always be on my top 10 list. I don't know, but he, he certainly, he, when he hits, he hits hard and he did so uh, with uh, Pedro Pascal within uh, the unbearable weight of massive talent. Just, enjoyed the hell out of this movie it was so gonzo and weird and fun I, I my face hurt when i left the theater from from smiling so much and you know you just want to scream nicholas fucking cage it's uh i don't know just very cathartic and um fun probably one of the best bromances of the year as well I'm shocked this made your top 10, to Are be you? honest. Why? Yes, I am. I, I I remember when we reviewed it, I even said it then, I enjoyed the hell out of the first half of this movie, and really the first quarter of the movie, the setup of the film is brilliant. I mean, Nick Cage playing himself, and those early moments of him like having the... Uh, the, the, the lunch um, and, you know, trying to get his career going. It, I loved all of that. And then even going to, um, you know, meet Pedro Pascal. Great. I think it just went too far off the rails and oh, sort of lost, lost its footing. And, and the ending, actually the whole second half, not that I didn't enjoy it. It just wasn't nearly as good as this film probably could have been. Hmm. That's I, my think, I think you're being rough on it. I liked it. With Rye, maybe even harder, to be honest. I think it's um, an interesting concept and an interesting idea in search of an interesting screenplay and an interesting director. I don't mm. think it's very well made or very well written. I think, Matt, if you if someone had given you the, this film's idea, you could have made a better movie. I think well, people like this movie because of what it's about, like the concept. But once you get past the concept, I don't think it does anything interesting with it. Hmm. Well, I loved it. I just had a lot of fun with it. Again, I say this every year. I'm always happy when you love movies, man. It's not a problem. <laughs> well, I, and Brian said he's going to get to the big stuff later. I'm getting to the big stuff right now. My number nine pick. Two years ago, I had uh, a blockbuster on my list, uh, a little film called Tenant, and you guys laughed at me. Well, who's laughing now, guys? Who's laughing now no. with that Tenant pick? Ah, what? <laughs> uh, still, I still am. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Still but his worst I, movie, I, I think. I, I, I enjoyed the hell out of it. And I enjoy that I, I enjoy blockbusters that have a lot of hype and live up to it. And this is where I'm putting Avatar the Way of Water as my number nine pick. James Cameron, three hundred and fifty million dollars, thirteen years in the making. I, I, 
expectations through the roof for this thing. And I would say it exceeds the expectations. I, I really would. It's a, everybody's going to say the same thing. It's absolutely outstanding looking. If there's a weak link here, I think the story's probably improved over the first one. So that's a, that's a positive, but it's probably still the weakest part of the experience of Avatar, the way of water dialogue, the dialogue. It, and, the dialogue yeah, and, and, and his dialogue, he could use some help there for sure. Um, it's Cameron. Yeah, call, call Aaron Sorkin for God's sake. I mean, come <laughs> no, on. No, no, it's I, I'll finish right then. No okay. But, but I love movies that can give me that wonder of watching a movie again. Sometimes we, we go a little while without that. We get it here with about an hour into the movie when they finally jump into the water and seeing this in 3d, uh, I, I wrote on Letterboxd, it was like when Dorothy opens the door to Oz. It was like all of a sudden they jumped into the water and it's like, oh, okay, this is going to be awesome if they're under this water for the rest of the movie, which pretty much they are uh, a lot, for a lot of it. It's just going to be excellent because it's so beautiful to you know to witness on screen. And the action, obviously, Cameron does it better than probably almost anyone else working. And it all comes together and has some heavy Titanic vibes at the end. And Matt, you know, I'm a Titanic lover. So fine by me. Give me more Titanic uh, themes at the end there. Big fan of Avatar Way of Water, my number nine pick. Brian, you've seen it. Agree, disagree, too high. Shouldn't be on a top 10. What do you think? Mostly agree. I like it quite a bit. I like it significantly more than the first film. I think um, the first film felt a little cold and calculated. What I like about this one, you mentioned it gets to Titanic. It gets to everything. It's got shots of the abyss. In other words, in his filmography, it's got the abyss. It's, it's got T2 illusions. It's got alien stuff. It's got Sarah Connor all over it. Without mm-hmm. spoiling anything, the basic plot of the movie is, should I fight to save my family or should I flee to save my family? Which is T2 in a nutshell. In other words, it's like, I love... Cameron, I said in my review that he's gone to Pandora and he's brought all of his movies with him. And he's kind of just, the personal touch to it is really what I what I admire about it because so many blockbusters, especially the Marvel blockbusters, feel like they could have been made by anybody. This movie is undeniably a James Cameron film. And I miss those days of auteur blockbuster directors, your Spielbergs and your Lucases. I miss those days where you could feel the personal touch in the blockbuster and is crazy as it sounds given the incredible technology here you can feel a personal touch in this movie it, it, it kind of stumbles a little bit at the beginning like it rushes through the setup and i felt like lost almost at first you said you didn't really connect to it till it got to the water and yeah i mm-hmm. think some of the early stuff is weird and it loses itself with like six endings and then none of them are kind of real because it's setting up another movie <laughs> so it kind of makes those mistakes at the end but man the middle like Two hours is really, really something to behold. So I'm a it fan. It really is. Is so really is. is is he like if 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 Michael Bay is your your call level whiskey, is James Cameron just top shelf Michael Bay? I mean, come on. I'm not sure what that means. Michael Bay doesn't exist without James Cameron. So uh yeah, I mean aliens. I mean, are we gonna talk about the career of James Cameron? James Cameron is we've been talking arguably, about it all month. Uh, I mean, with honestly, I think Avatar is his worst film, and I kind of like that one. Um, so he might be perfect. I mean, you can't can't complain about True Lies or T two or Aliens or The Abyss. Those are all phenomenal. No, movies. I agree. I, I, I've had this argument with Matt. He, he's always down on him, and then I list his his whole filmography. He's like, "Well, I like all those a lot, but 
Exactly. And I'm like, well, yeah. but what? He's only made all good films. There's no bad And my bad favorite film. thing is people, people were all like doubting whether he could do a sequel. I'm like, he's made maybe the two best of all time in terms of action, Aliens and Terminator 2. Like he knows how to do action sequels. So it's like, and he did it here. I think it's in every way better than the first movie, in part because it gets away from Worthington and Saldana. It expands the universe. It world builds. Mm-hmm. The first movie doesn't really world build. This one, like, you can see, oh my God, he's going to make seven movies here. They probably right. won't all be good, but he's, you can see, you can finally feel like a universe instead of just like a ride. I and agree. that about it is really exciting. All right. Two, two touches I noticed on that too, is he names some of the uh, parts of Pandora. Like we'll, we'll get yeah. like a, a title part of what right. area this is, which is great oh, yeah. because that reminds me very much of like Lord of the Rings when they're introducing Middle Star Earth and, and, and Star Wars. You're starting yeah. to get to know these places. Yeah. And then two, the ending with uh, the family dynamic started to remind me of a, a Game of Thrones kind of dynamic yeah. where we're going to have these kids involved on this planet and it's going to be like oh this is really going to be villainous after a while i could see this really growing into something so i'm excited yeah i mean again a lot of his movies he does makeshift families and stuff like ripley and newt there's a newt character in this movie spider who i think is kind of a weakness but because that actor kind of sucks and the character's weird but the point is he's bringing in all these ideas that he's played with before and i find that i just find it invigorating to again the blockbuster I don't want to rip on Marvel too much, but it has gotten pretty impersonal. We've seen a lot of blockbusters that felt like they were made by a machine. Whatever you want to say about this movie, it does not feel like it was made by a machine. Hmm. My Except number nine. Avatar, you don't have to do it. You don't have to do another podcast. <laughs> <laughs> there it was. There we, it we have not reviewed it, but there, there's our hot take on Avatar, yeah. The Way of Water, my number nine pick. That brings us into our eights. Brian, don't even tell me you got another foreign film on your list. I do. And in fact, if you had to think of a movie that was further from Avatar, even further than EO from Avatar, it would probably be this film. Um, The first film to win the Grand Jury Documentary Prize and the Audience Documentary Prize at Sundance. It's a film called All That Breathes. It's a movie about two brothers in New Delhi who help save kites, which are black birds that fly over the city and have to deal with the pollution and they care for them and they clean them. But the film is shot in such a gorgeous, riveting style. It's constantly placing animals in frame of the culture around it. Like the opening shot is amazing. It's a, it's in an alley and there's garbage and then rats come in and other animals. And then there's headlights in the background and you get the sense that everything is kind of living together and growing together. There's several shots like that. One of my, maybe my favorite shot of the year is a shot of an apartment building and it pans down just a normal looking Indian apartment building pans down. And there's like one of the most insane natural beauty scenes I've ever seen with like horses standing by a river and then some wild boars are crossing. You realize this is all happening at the same place at the same time. And then you've got the documentary aspect, which is reminding us if we don't do something about our climate change problems and our pollution problems, all of this will go away. And we need to, it's all that breathes, all that breathes together in a city that needs to take care of itself and each other. And if we lose that, we lose something very important and very essential. And it's a moving, powerful, gorgeous movie. Wow. I love a yeah. good doc, man. I, yeah. I have seen this one. And what's I, remarkable is I, I think so many times all the climate change movies and, and, you know, trying to clean up pollution always focuses on, you know, the human race. And we're, we're, we're you know, 
we're going to go extinct and we're going to kill the planet. But it doesn't ever focus on this aspect like this movie does that bring in the animals also. And look how this is all affecting everything, not just us humans, but literally everything that is breathing on this planet is affected by what we're doing um, here on, on the planet. And it's, I loved it as well. Not on my top 10, but awesome doc. I am stoked to see this one. All right. That swings it uh, around to my number eight. And I have what I think, although I haven't seen avatar yet, this is my favorite action sci-fi movie of the year. And Ryan called me or texted me when this movie came out or we got a screener or something and told me it may even be better than the original. And to me, that was just a, an asinine ludicrous thing to say, because the original film is probably in the pantheon of, of great cinema, like one of the most masculine films ever made. But this one is helmed by a female character and she takes on the predator in prey wonderful one that is such a tall order to fill there have been myriad predator films and they have all been diminishing returns some of them are just absolute hot garbage so my expectations were admittedly quite quite low with prey but as I watched it again, I think I've seen it three times now. I'm like, not only did it exceed my expectations, it is a damn good movie. If it stood on its own and had no legacy to the original film, it would still be a damn good movie. And young Amber Midhunter is her name, I believe, uh, as Naru, the, the, the principal character in the movie, was just so strong and so understandable. Not always likable, because she makes some mistakes, but always respectable, you know, and you, you understand her decisions. You feel the weight of her culture. And I don't know, it was so cool. Like you thought it was cool seeing Arnold Schwarzenegger fight the, the, the predator with machine guns. But here is a tribe of Native Americans fighting with uh, bows and arrows. I think they were, for the most part, like very respectful and um, it was good representation in the movie, but that's not even the point. It's just like a finally we get a, a worthy sequel to one of my favorite action sci-fi movies of all time. Sure. I mean, they were able to bring it back to the basics. What did we like about the original Predator, right? It was it was this Predator in the wild taking on, you know, basically a tribe of men, you know. Right. And they were able to do that again, put it in a different setting. Uh, give us a new hero, but get back to the basics. Number one, instead of trying to create and focus on this grand uh, world of the predators and the lore of it all, I think that was getting too carried away. Get back to the basics. I like Make a how good predator. I like how this movie didn't just roll over the same old tropes, though. Like she didn't cover herself in mud. Spoiler alert: she found a different way to combat the predators' specific powers. You know, and that was that was clever. At least it wasn't just a rehashing of the same one with a gender swap. Very original, very fun. The Trapper characters were were fun to watch get eliminated. I don't know. It, it had a good horror vibe, like the first one. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, Brian, I'd even throw it in the horror category a little bit. Brian, have you seen Prey? I think this is a first in nine years, gentlemen. I did not get around to it. 
and wow. I know that I should. It's always it's been on my list. It sounds like something I would very much enjoy, but in the window on covering it or writing about it just closed. And this year, I really did not have time to watch anything I wasn't covering in some capacity. And so I will do it over the holidays for sure. Yeah, yeah. I'd be curious to get your take on it. It sounds I need that, very I need that, much like something I would like. Oh, you, I think so. I need that Tolerico validation. So let me know after you watch it. <laughs> My number eight pick I know is going to come up later on in the episode. We don't discuss what we have on our top tens, but I know uh, Matt's review of it is very strong, and I know Brian's take on this movie is very strong. So I'm going to be brief on this one since we will talk about it later. But at number eight, this is where I have the Banshees of In Sharon. Wow, really? So low. Yeah, number eight. And you know how Brian's saying he, he didn't get around to seeing Prey. I wanted to rewatch this movie because I only saw it one time in Toronto and it was in one of the big uh, theaters. And sometimes those are good, but they're not always sometimes the best uh, viewing experience also with like sound and, you know, yeah. people are laughing, you miss some stuff. And I really wanted Sight to lines. watch it. The yeah, sidelines suck in those theaters. Yep. And I wanted to watch it a second time and I've had it down on my list to watch it a second time. Never got to it a second time. If I had, maybe it moves way up the list. But for, for mine... Seeing it that one time, it lands at number eight. And I, I said it when we reviewed it here on the show, the trio of Colin Farrell, Brendan Gleeson, and um, Martin McDonough have struck cinema gold again. And much like Julie Delpy and uh, the trio who make the Before series all the time, Ethan Hawke and uh, Linklater, th these three should get together and make a movie every 10 years. Always should have something in their in in the works because uh they work together so well the writing's perfect it's a dark comedy we're going to talk about it more my number eight pick is is that's where i got the banshees at number eight we will talk about it more later <laughs> i figured um, i figured yeah my number seven uh, we are still on the other side of the world this time we are in iran uh there's a very famous iranian filmmaker named jafar pahani Badahi who has been under house arrest for years, um, over a decade. And now I believe he's under actual arrest, which is not great. Um, he's made stuff called This Is Not A Film and Taxi um, and Three Faces. He's an internationally renowned filmmaker and he has a son named Panah Panahi who made a film, played festivals in 21, but didn't come out here until 22 called Hit The Road. And Hit The Road is a fantastic dramedy about a family taking one of their children to the Iranian border with Turkey to try to give him a better life, um, to try to basically make him a refugee. And they'll never see him again because of the way these things work. And of course, the personal issues that Jafar Panahi's son inflects in here because his father has not been allowed to leave the house for 10 years because of his restrictive government makes it interesting. But it is also just a gorgeously shot funny moving strange beautiful little movie that makes me hopeful that the son might end up being as good as the father so wow strong picks i have not seen hit the road looking forward to checking it out ditto matt you're number seven my number seven it's, it, this is what i'm talking about man it's 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 like the, i can hear the gears grinding i'm a sucker for a good mystery and ryan johnson gave us a sequel this is that, a good pick, though. Man. That has launched a, I hope, a, a film series. Daniel Craig gets another crack at a, a hopefully long time playing a single character 
as Benoit Blanc in uh, Glass Onion, A Knives Out Mystery, the sequel to Knives Out. Hilarious. I think he 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 turned the humor knob up just one click, just one click. And, and that may have been the sweet spot. There's still enough whodunitness to it, although that's not even the point of the first film necessarily. As we've discussed in our reviews, the movies kind of pivot in the middle and show you everything that led up to the crime or uh, at least the murder. And then it's, it's not about trying to solve it yourself. It's, it's everything that death on the Nile wished it was. It's everything that, that Hercule Poirot wishes he was. It's this, this like dapper Southern gentleman of a, of a detective, but he, he plays the buffoon so well. He's like, uh, like, uh, Oh man, who is Peter Falk's character on TV? Columbo. Columbo. Yeah. Yeah. He, he does the Columbo thing perfectly. You got Craig, as I mentioned, Kate Hudson, Jessica Henwick, Edward Norton, Catherine Hahn, Janelle Monet, Ethan Hawke pops up briefly, Dave Batista. It's, it's, it's an ensemble. A lot of fun. I love it this. Was. I want. I can't wait for the third. Yeah, I, I agree. I would like more of these movies, and I believe it is already in the works. At least the third. I think they're all signed. Netflix. On to. Pretty yeah. sure that it is. Yes. Yeah. Ryan Johnson's on. Um, I'm. This is another one I'm looking forward to seeing a second time. Only seen it once. Not on my my top ten, but thoroughly enjoyed it just as much, if not maybe even a little bit more so than the first. So I'm on board on this one. Uh, Brian, you a fan also? I mean, yeah, it's, uh, I don't think it's just a notch. I think he very intentionally goes bigger, faster, more sequel thing. In other words, it's a bigger story. It's a bigger mystery. It's got more twists. It's got more humor. And, but I, but, and I think that's fine. In other words, he, he knows he's trying to deliver kind of a bigger version of the first movie. Um, I think it's fun. I think the cast is phenomenal. I actually think, Several of them are underrated. Janelle Monae is getting lots of critics awards and stuff and nominations. I think she got a Golden Globe nomination. Yeah. Uh, I think Kate Hudson is as good as she's been since Almost Famous, like playing a role that like her mother, Goldie Hawn, would have played at some point, like really digging into it. And I think Ed Norton is ridiculously good. I mean, it's, it's, I think, I, I don't understand why people aren't talking more about the levels of humor and satire and almost parody of a certain kind of person who just bought Twitter that he's playing in the movie. Um, I think he's doing some really fascinating stuff, but of course it all comes back to Johnson's script, which is just aces. I mean, I love having someone like Ryan Johnson. I mean, you want to also talk about someone who hasn't missed yet. That's someone who has not missed yet. Ryan Johnson has not. Well, missed. arguably it depends on where you land on the star Wars film. Really? In arguably. <laughs> it depends I'm on where with you, you land on brothers bloom, but I'm not taking any last Jedi select. So, I, I like Last Jedi, but it does have its haters. Oh, it sure does. Uh, let me throw this out. People might be interested and Maybe you guys don't know this. The end of January, Ryan Johnson is doing a Mystery of the Week show on Peacock, uh, like a Columbo type thing, sort of, with a different case every week uh, with Natasha Leone as the crime solver, uh, which should be fun and clever. It's called Poker Face on Peacock awesome. late January. Johnson wrote and directed him. So, Damn. Wow, I'm down for a miniseries. Direct, that sounds awesome. Wrote. That's a no, major score like for ongoing. Peacock. Like they're doing like a monk or a Columbo with Natasha Leone and Ryan Johnson scripts and mysteries. I mean, wow. I'm gonna watch it a dozen times. <laughs> <laughs> that is awesome. <laughs> Hell yeah. yeah, I I agree. As great as the cast is, the star is that script. Man, that guy can write a good whodunit, and 
pivot the way he does and turn it on its side. And it's like, yeah, more of this, please. I love it. My and number his, seven. His ear for dialogue and pacing is just ridiculously good. So anyway. Yes. Agree. So my number seven pick is uh, a film. I saw at Toronto and I was so glad that I saw it in the festival setting because uh, it's a quieter film plays out very much like you would go see a, a play and just see a bunch of women talking. Yes. At number um, seven, women talking Sarah Polly directed and the cast is phenomenal. And talking about uh, scripts here, the cast, Jesse Buckley, Claire Foy, Rooney Mara, Ben Winshaw, Francis McDormand. But yet again, the highlight here is the script. No doubt uh, the screenplay here by Sarah Polly is, is literally incredible because the film follows women in an isolated religious colony who are struggling to reconcile with their faith after a series of sexual assaults. And the discussion that these women are having is not just about uh, their circumstance within the colony. It is, uh, you can view this as obviously a much bigger discussion about uh, women being abused, uh, the role men play, the way we can teach men uh, and, and boys on, on how to, um, you know, not only just live together, but how to respect women, uh, it, it, everything. It touches on so many different topics and the beauty is that it, inside the discussion that the women are having, it can be viewed as just what they're talking about on their colony. But we, the viewers, are seeing this as a much bigger canvas that they're talking about. And uh, the performances, I think Jesse Buckley is going to get nominated for an Oscar. Uh, I think she, for me, was a standout. But Claire Foy also is amazing. And uh, Ben Winshaw was fantastic also as the one guy who's sort of taking the notes at the meeting. And uh, for a movie about women talking that really is just about some women at the top of a barn talking, I was completely captivated for two hours watching this movie. Couldn't believe it. Big fan of this one. Brian? It's excellent. Yeah, it's very good. It's in my runner-ups. Um, I, I agree with pretty much everything you said. Um yeah, I think everyone in it is very good. Uh, even the 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 names that people don't know quite as much, like Judith Ivey and Sheila McCarthy, the older women are fantastic. Uh, it's a great ensemble piece. I'd like to see it get a SAG ensemble nomination. It probably will. Um, I think the controversy around it is the visual choice. Did it bother you? It's washed out. It almost looks like a sepia painting the entire time. Mm -hmm. uh, I know some people basically have written it off because of that because they don't like the visual choice of it. It didn't bother me. I think it's didn't okay. It didn't bother me at all either. Yeah. yeah. I think she's trying to, first off, she doesn't want to make any of these beautiful people look quite so beautiful. Like Rooney Mara is a, is a gorgeous human being. So it kind of drabs everything down a little bit. Um, and that's intentional. But I also think it's just, she wants us to focus on the dialogue instead of anything in what could be like a beautiful horizon of where this film is set. You know what I mean? So mm -hmm. it's like, um, I, I don't have a problem with it, but I, I'm just warning that some people do. Uh, yeah. I think it's smart. I, I think the script is very, very smart, like almost too smart because it becomes, like you said, it, come, it becomes like a play. It's not very natural dialogue. Um, mm -hmm. It's very self-conscious um, of what it's trying to do and say, but it's trying to do and say some really interesting, important stuff. It sure is. And um, it, this one comes out December 23rd. 
yeah. uh, in limited release. And then I think everywhere in January is what I, I last saw. I, I do think it's going to be a tough sell. Um, so yeah. it needs that kind of like award buzz. And I think people like me putting it on the top 10 and talking about Good. it on podcasts like this, that get people to go out and see it. Uh, I'm hoping that it, it attracts a, an audience because it deserves it. Yeah, it's fallen off a little bit. I don't think it got any Golden Globes. For Chicago critics, none of the actors got nominated, which surprised mm. me. So mm. it seems to be diminishing a little bit. Maybe that changes when it comes out. It was interesting, though. We didn't nominate any of the cast. It's possible that they like split among themselves because we didn't nominate any of the cast, but Polly got nominated for director and won our adapted screenplay category. So clearly we liked the film. It's just, it's a hard movie, I think, to pick out your favorite parts of. Do you know what mm -hmm. I mean? So. Mm -hmm. That was my number seven, Women Talking. Number six, Brian, what do we got? Oh, uh, another, my last foreign film, I promise. My top five are all in English. Um, this one is another Indian film, the Indian film of the year. The Indian film that everyone was talking about that made $180 million worldwide. That when my son asked me what I was watching when I finally went to see it recently, I said, I'm going to see all the movies at once. RRR which is all the movies at once. It is a musical. It is an action movie. It is a blockbuster. It is a historical drama. It is a comedy. It is a romance. It is every genre you could possibly want in a movie. It's ridiculous. It's insane. It's over the top. It's, we talked about personal touch. You can feel the joy of filmmaking in this movie in every frame. And that's what I love about it. Again, I don't want to be a broken record here, but certain blockbuster industries like the DC and Marvel ones of late have drained the joy from blockbusters. This movie, you can feel the people behind it, like laughing as they're making it. Like, are we really going to do this? Yeah, sure. Let's do this. And then are let's we really going to have tigers flying out yeah. of a truck? <laughs> are we going to have them punch a moving motorcycle and pick it up and then throw it at somebody? It's like, it's just the most insane nonsensical three hours you'll ever spend. And you will enjoy every single second of it. I can't recommend oh, yeah. it. Yeah. yeah. Ryan, did you finally see RRR? I did. It, to be honest, it was the last movie I watched before compiling this list. I watched it last night to finish what I consider my, my main movie. I still got a few to watch before we vote for, on our awards, but I, I wanted to get it done before my top 10. Didn't quite make my top 10, but like Brian said, I enjoyed the hell out of it. My movie poster quote would be like, you cannot not like this movie. I mean, it's right. just a movie that you're going to watch with a smile on your face and right. enjoy um, the action right up your alley, Matt, how we'll be talking about and, it again <laughs> and crazy it is. So RRR, I, I had a blast with it. Yeah. I'm going to, I'm going to save my comments cause we're going to circle back around to RRR. <clears throat> um, at my number seven, I have, this is six. sorry. Six at my number six, this is where I put top gun Maverick. All right. Uh, so all the way at six. All right. Yeah. I mean, Wow. Wow. What a absolute thrill ride. My expectations were nowhere above 1989. I can tell you that they were very, very low. The first Top Gun, <clears throat> which I rewatched in anticipation. It's OK. You know, it's it's okay. it's very it's very much of its era. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Something changed in this translation something evolved almost and somehow they made a movie that's supposed to be about boobs and guns and america not about that at all it it, it really has 
surprising depth and heart at the same time, keeping the action and of the, uh, of these machines, these, I don't care who you are. You got to think uh, a fighter jet's pretty cool. It's front and center and, and thrilling. Some of the POV stuff, like just the filmmaking around the jets. Amazing. And I'm sure Tom Cruise was flying his own jet at like Mach 10. I don't know if that's true, but like, I just assume probably he was, it was just a, a lot of fun. Probably the most fun I had sitting on a theater cushion this year. What do you think? What do you guys think of the purgatory theory? Have you heard it? No, but lay it on me. I love a good fan theory. <laughs> okay. What's the opening scene? He takes that plane up above Mach 10 or something like that, right? And, right. and the plane explodes. Ooh. He dies. The rest of the movie is him in purgatory going back and fixing all the things he couldn't fix, like Goose's son and the girl that got away and all those issues until he can finally move on and go to heaven. In other words, it's a Jacob's Ladder story. Uh, it kind of holds up if you watch it, because there's really no legitimate way he could have escaped that plane at the beginning. <laughs> so you kind of just have to go past that. But the idea that it's a wish fulfillment thing, he gets to reunite with Iceman in that key emotional moment. Mm -hmm. He kind of gets everything he would want to reconcile before moving on to the next life or stage or whatever you want to call it. I love uh, that. It's an, it's an interesting idea to consider. I had actually heard it before I saw it. So then watching it made it an interesting thing to experience. Uh, I like it a lot. I don't love it as much as some people. It's not in my top 10. Uh, I do think it's a little more rah-rah-y than you're giving it credit for it. I mean, it is the American hero will save the day. Yeah, uh, that's not absent, but yeah. No, it's not. Um, and, but it, I like it for two reasons. I think it is technically robust as hell like like you said the the plane stuff the cinematography in it is incredible the the effects and the cinematography is remarkable I, I like all of that um and as cheesy as it sounds i kind of like that we still have a movie star like tom mm -hmm. cruise is a movie star movie stars are going away and i kind of like that the movie made a bajillion dollars because tom cruise bet on himself i mean i have some scientology issues about tom cruise but putting as those aside I. Yeah, But putting those aside, I like the fact that everyone tried to push him to put this on streaming. And he was like, no, I'm going to, during the pandemic. And he was like, no, I'm going to wait. And he bet on himself and it's the highest grossing film of his career. Like, I do think there's something, it's, I, I don't want to get too cheesy, but like saving the theatrical experience, he's kind of trying to lead that way. Uh, mm -hmm. and, and we don't have a lot of those people left. The number of the number of people that people go to see, like actors that people go to see in the theater now, I think you can count on one hand. There are no real stars anymore. Nah, he's one of the, he's like, uh, Will Smith isn't doing it anymore. No. I'm trying to think of people who used to do it. The Rock it, still draws. Mm, Black Adam bombed. Black Adam bombed like a runaway train. <laughs> it doesn't matter for a certain audience. I, I think he will still draw. I'm not saying he's like an amazing actor or anything like that. I like him just fine. But anyway, go I'm on. I'm talking about the old fashioned days where like Will Smith had like $800 million or more movies in a row, that era, Tom Cruise is like the only one left mission. The next two mission impossible movies are going to make a fortune. I think in terms of what he brings to Hollywood and the, he's an old fashioned movie star. We don't have any of those. Those, those are like an increasingly short supply. Agreed. Yeah. Agreed. Definitely. Uh, didn't make my top 10, but we reviewed it here on the show. Big fan as well, Matt. Nice pick. My number six pick, uh, switch gears, much smaller, uh, not going to make, $800 million. I don't know if it's going to make $8 million, but I love this movie. And it is the first movie that I ever had an emotional 
delayed response to, um, meaning mm. not to bring the show down to a, to a, a, a bad level here, but, um, like in my personal life, I've had this where, um, you know, you're grieving the loss of somebody and it doesn't hit you until maybe like a very strange time, something comes sure. up and then yep. your body is ready to yep. really grieve. And I remember it hit me one time. I was driving home on 290 and I had to pull over. I almost caused an accident and I didn't know what was going on. My body needed that moment. You know, I'd never had that and I never thought I would have it with a movie, but it happened here at my number six pick. This thing snuck up on me and, uh, <laughs> I cried like a baby after it was over. And I'll tell you about it. My number six pick is after sun and, uh, it's written and directed by Charlotte Wells. This is her feature debut and, it uh, again, like I say, subtle and sneaks up on you. It it basically is uh, looking. Um, let's say this: a a, a, a woman is looking back uh, twenty years earlier at her dad that the last time they went on like a vacation in Turkey, and she's having this like vision that's almost like dreamlike. And we're we're looking back at this uh, vacation through some home video that they've taken. Um, used very effectively. And we see that the her father at that time, who was about her age now when she's looking back, was struggling with uh, depression and had things on his plate that when she was a little girl couldn't recognize. And really, the, the story here is that you're finally coming to terms and being able to realize that your parents were human beings and going through struggles at, at a time that when you were a kid, you couldn't ever grasp that and and that's yeah. really the the whole gist of this movie and the ending scene one of the most powerful scenes i, I think the reason it it i had the delayed response is i didn't realize that this was going to be the whole movie uh i didn't know much about this film going in i went in almost completely blind on it and i i was emotional during the dance sequence uh near the end and it was like okay that was really good and i i, I stopped the movie and I went and I made dinner and I, I logged it onto Letterboxd like a good reviewer. And then I was like, you know, afterwards I had some wine. And I was like, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to watch the trailer for, I had never, never even seen the trailer for this. And I went ahead and I watched the trailer sitting on my couch and I started crying just watching the trailer. And then when the trailer ended, somebody at that point on YouTube had posted the dance sequence at the end of the movie on YouTube already. I was like, ah, I should watch it again. I'm shocked my neighbors didn't call an ambulance because <laughs> oh, man. I sobbed like you wouldn't believe. I was audibly crying. Like I, I slouched off my couch. I was weeping over this movie and how much it affected me. Wow. wow. It walloped me. It really did. After just, Sun. Do you think it'll have that effect on, on, on many people or did it oh, just yeah. kind of sucker punch you? All right. No, no. I think it's going to, I think it's going to have an effect on a, a lot of people. Um, I don't know. Brian, You've seen this, obviously. Uh, did it have that kind of effect on you, or am I way off? Yeah, on something here? <laughs> um, I we're at that phase of the game where we can talk about it now, or we can talk about it later. Oh, we'll, okay. we'll talk about it later. All right. we, I, I did want to include because we're going to go to break here, but I did want to include. We got some uh, feedback from Rebecca Fons. She is uh, yeah. director over at Cisco. the Gene Cisco Film Center, and mm -hmm. she wrote in to us uh, what her favorite film of the year was. And she says, after sun directed by Charlotte Wells, a delicate, potent and true gem after sun feels like a movie and, and more like Charlotte Wells has cracked open her memories and gently invited you to take a look. 31 year old Sophie reflects on a trip to that. She took to Turkey 
with her uh, dad, Colm, 20 years earlier. Using camcorder footage alongside Sophie's 11-year-old perspective to capture a time and a feeling in a way that feels like memories do. Dreamy, fractured, imprecise. Through seemingly very personal, though seemingly very personal. After Son is universal. As we get older, we piece together and come to terms with who our parents were, are, when we were younger. The film snuck up on me. In the final third, I was suddenly sobbing in the theater seat. (laughs) I'm getting choked up. An older man sitting next to me, also alone, also sobbing, offered me a tissue, sending us both into another round of grateful, deep tears. Thank you, Rebecca. That's what it's all about, man. Being able to just get the emotions out sometimes. Ah, Good one. Good one. After Sun, my number six, I leave us on a high note and a teaser because obviously Brian has this somewhere on his top five. What we are going to do is take a break. Let's go to break. Jawheads, we continue our celebration of James Cameron with a clip from True Lies. In it here, Arnold Schwarzenegger has been injected with some truth serum and his wife, Jamie Lee Curtis, is tied up alongside him and the fun ensues. So, dear Mama Daw, was am I the truth agent? It makes you tell the truth? Mm-hmm. Is it working? Ask me questions that I normally would like to. Are we gonna die? Yep. I'd say it's working. They're gonna shoot us in the head, or they're gonna torture us to death. Or are they going to leave us here until the bomb blows Harry! up? Harry! How long are you going to spy, Seventeen years. Have you ever killed anyone? Yeah, but they were all bad. Cinema Jaws brought to you by the guys over at Cracking the Code of Spy Movies podcast. If you're into spy movies and you're into podcasts, you should definitely listen to this one. Then you know what? I'll let them tell you about it. You love spy movies? Well, our show is all about spy movies from the classics like The 39 Steps, The Ipcris File, to James Bond, Mission Impossible, and current releases like No Time to Die. This is Dan Silvestri. And Tom Pizzotto. Just go to your favorite podcast app and search Cracking the Code of Spy Movies. Do the same on YouTube. Our show decodes key scenes, dives into connections and influences from other movies, does interviews with actors and directors, and keeps you informed with our spy movie news segment, all while having fun. Podcasts and YouTube videos. Join us on Cracking the Code of Spy Movies. And we are back on Cinema Jaw, hanging out with Brian Tallarico as we cover our top 10 films of the year we are through five so we have uh done our 10 through six and we are about to do five through one things are going to get exciting i'm sure there's going to be some overlap here because uh let's just say we all have really good taste before we get there though we didn't throw any items into the fish tank since this is a very odd episode we're not uh you know fishing for facts if you will but 
I know there's some other feedback we want to read. Let's open up that fish tank. Wait a moment. It's fish, isn't it? DC, wake up, wake up. No, Pat, it's a giant glass bowl. Hey, get some fish, folks. Who's coming with me besides Flipper? Here. That's a second message. That means Luca Brasi sleeps with the fishes. Yeah, thank you guys so much uh, to to be hopping on out. Uh, it's nice to have a light week. Uh, and it's also great, right? Like, it's a celebration. Uh, I feel great. It's easily the best night of the year for me. Is it true you're I'm drinking concerned. Malort and LaCroix? That's yes. the Malort. And you're this chasing is... <laughs> What flavor of yeah. LaCroix? I'm just curious. What flavor LaCroix are you chasing that with? Cherry Blossom. Oh my god, dude! That's got to be disgusting. To be young again, <laughs> <laughs> something like that. Yeah, we'll go with that. I'm young. Uh... <laughs> Younger than us, man. In those years when you would just put stupid shit in your body and be like, "Sure, why not?" Just see what Brian, happens. <laughs> you still could. What if I told uh, you? Not... What if I told you it is ugly, but you still could? <laughs> well. Don't tell my doctor that. <laughs> don't tell him. I won't tell yours if you don't tell mine, buddy. Okay. Uh, <laughs> yes. So we did. Uh, one of the ones that we wanted to reach out to, uh, we wanted to open up and read, was feedback from Michael Glover Smith, uh, former guest. He had written into us, my favorite movie of 2022 is the HBO Max limited series Irma Vep, starring Alicia Vikander, uh, as a Hollywood actress starring in a limited series remake of a silent French serial, uh, a career best work from writer-director Olivier Asseas. It's a hilarious, self-reflexive look at the challenges and rewards of personal filmmaking in the present day, a fascinating hall of mirrors that asks, what is cinema in the 2020s? Leave it to Michael Glover Smith to not give us a film, but give us a limited series. What the heck, Michael? But since we have Brian Tallarico... I, I he, see him cringing over he, there. He dips his toe ask into television. It asks, what is television? It's a television series. I think it's phenomenal. <laughs> I think it's great. But it very clearly comments on its existence as a television series. So I'm, I kind of went along with being in the minority that Twin Peaks The Return would qualify for film lists, even though that bothered me. But Irma Vep is on my best of TV list because it's a TV show. And I find most of the time, and I'm not blaming Michael for this, I think Michael is a very smart guy with very good taste and he's a good filmmaker and all of that stuff. But I think a lot of times people put TV on film lists in a way that's kind of diminutive and reductive of television. In other words, this is so good, it can't be television. It has to be a film. Mm, it, interesting. It, it, it comes from the old days, and maybe it's just because I've been doing this for so long, where film people, in quotes, looked down on television. And they did forever. In other words, for the longest of time, if you did TV as an actor, your career was over, you were giving up. Um, and I think this is still a byproduct of that in that I like this so much and I think this is so good. I can't just admit that it's not a film and that it, it can't be TV. It has to be a film because well, everything that I love that's in a cinematic form. And, and again, I'm sure Michael would argue that the lines have blurred. That's completely. what I was about and to I, say. Yeah, I get that. I get that. But I'm not ready for the Wild West where I have to pick my five favorite TV shows and five favorite movies and put them all in some massive Franken list here. I'll add this real quick. 
if it All brings right. more attention to Irma Vap, which is what I'm sure Michael wants to do, then there's value to it. And, I, and so I think that's important and, to say. And, and it did just with this listener, because I have not seen it. I, I'm oh, always great. lacking in my television for sure. And I wrote it down when Michael wrote this. I, I wrote it down. I was like, well, I'll try to check it out over Christmas break. You know, you so should. it's Vikander's best work by some nice. stretch, in my opinion. And she's won Oscar and she's been good before. But I never quite took to her outside of Ex Machina. And I think she's phenomenal here. Awesome. I'll I'll yeah, check it that, out. that Lara Croft movie was not good. <laughs> all right, let's get back on track here. Was that everything, Phil? That's all we got. Yeah. Jump back in there. We will hear Phil again uh, because he will um, give his, his opinion on his favorite movie of the year. Back on track here. We are on number five, our, our big picks here, our heavy hitters. Brian, you're kicking us off. What do you got at number five? You talked about emotional experiences. I found this one very emotional. Um, and again, it was an early film, a film I saw almost a year ago. And it played, I believe it played Can the year before that. Uh, so it's kind of one of those, like, what year is this movie? Release dates are weird kind of things. But it didn't come out theatrically. and barely came out theatrically until this year. Um, and it's a film called After Yang by Koganada. Uh, who did a film called Columbus that I absolutely love. And this is his second film. He's a video essayist. It stars Colin Farrell, who had the best year of anybody on the face of the planet. No doubt. Uh, uh, and um, has three films in my top 25. And I see 300 movies a year. And I didn't see 13 Lives, and I heard he's good in that. Like, he just had an amazing year. Mm-hmm. He plays uh, the head of a family in a futuristic setting who has an adopted two adopted children, technically. And one of them is a android. Uh, named Yang and Yang kind of shuts down. He stops working. And so the father, Colin Farrell, tries to figure out how to fix him. Uh, and it's about loss and family. It's very much about adoptive families, which is a thing for me a little bit, clearly. And it's about, it's just a beautiful, futuristic, and yet also deeply currently relatable and philosophical uh, moving piece of sci fi drama that I find visually and emotionally captivating. I love this one as well, Brian. You know, just talking about After Sun before we went to the break and talking about how they use the um, old camcorder footage. I love the technique of the memory of Yang because they're constantly going back and and looking at Yang's memory. Something about that, it just hits that emotional chord. I'm right on board. This is right outside my top 10, but I loved After Yang. Well, it's about what, uh, like, yeah, they start seeing what Yang saw and, and you realize that, like, he picked up on different things that other people might not have picked up on. And that's kind of a key of, as, believe it or not, that's kind of a theme of Aftersun to a certain extent. The idea that we're not really seeing what we're seeing. Um, we're not seeing it the same way the loved one next to us might be seeing it or might be experiencing it. The vacation you go on with your dad when he's going through depression, he can't explain to you that just to get ahead of Aftersun is feels different to you than it does to him. And the experience of Yang in this film feels different. The family experience feels different to him than it does to someone else. Um, it's got Haley Lou Richardson in it too, and Clifton Collins Jr. It's visually striking, like all of Koganada's stuff. He's just got an incredible eye. Um, I think it's a fantastic film. Yeah, they, I, they I both, believe that one's on Showtime. Yeah, they both kind of sound like um, similar in the similar vein to um, Eternal Sunshine of the spotless mind a little bit not after sun i could give that on after yang a little bit because yeah you're like 
getting into someone's memories and inside. And, but I think Eternal Sunshine is one of the best films of the decade it came out in. So yeah, I'm drawn to that kind of sci-fi that's used to address the human condition and um, what matters to us. Same, same. All right. Uh, that swings it over to my number five. And you can never, never bet against Steven Spielberg. <clears throat> But I kind of would have in this case, but boy, was I wrong. And and maybe this is pedestrian of me. I don't know. It's a movie about movies and Hollywood loves that. And I'm I'm usually kind of down on that. But I love the Fablemans. I don't know what it was about it. It's so straightforward and uh, unapologetically no warts and all of a biopic. But damn it. Mm, I don't. I don't agree with that, but we'll no? get to that later. Mm. Oh, no, I think no, he no. romanticizes it, even though even though he sort of um, uh, deals with body uh, stuff. Well, he sees his mom for the first time through his memories of her. You have to. I'm not going to interrupt. Go. Almost Sorry. like After Son. Wow, we're picking much, up on a lot of themes. Very right? much like <laughs> very After much Son. Like after that, son. It's a. It, you have to. The best way to view Fablemans, and I'm sorry to interrupt, but we're no, ahead, the train, moving down the track. No, no. The best way to view Fablemans to me is as a memory piece. People have talked about how like she's exaggerated and certain things. Oh, maybe that didn't happen that way. But if you think about it, like after Sun almost like a memory piece, then I think it all comes together. He's he's remembering the incidents he had with his mom and he's seeing his mom and her imperfections and her mental illness and her her potential infidelity in ways he couldn't when he was young. And he's and, and, and in the end, he forgives her for those things. Well, so I don't I think do, there was. Go ahead. Sorry. Now I'm interrupting I, you. I do think that there's, I think the reason it works and I think the reason you like it more than you thought you would is because it's not that sentimental a movie. I don't think he's presenting a perfect American family. He's presenting a fractured family and explaining how he used filmmaking to deal with that fracture, how he, the opening scene is him going to see the greatest show on earth. And they go see The Greatest Show on Earth as a child. And there's the train crash sequence. And he can't get it out of his head. He, he keeps thinking about it. He keeps dreaming about it. Right, he has right. to actually film it. So he goes down to the basement with his mom and they film a train crash. And that's how he can control what's in his head. That's the whole movie. That's Spielberg's whole career. I made Close Encounters about a divorced dad because that's how I wanted to deal with that issue. I made E.T. about a fractured family because that's how I was dealing with my issue. The opening setup of Fablemans and how it leads into the rest of the movie is Spielberg's entire career. You, We make movies to put our lives and our history and our emotions up there on the screen. I mean, spoiler, it's higher on my list than yours, as you might be able to tell. Oh. <laughs> um, but, but I do, but I, I, the reason I interrupted you, and I'm sorry, is that I don't think it's like perfect sentimental, my family was great view. No, here's here's what I mean. I, I just think that it's romanticized in a certain way. And yes, yes, there's right. yeah. there's the um the fractured family, and no, that's not the perfect American family, but that's the real American family. I think he paints everything with a very normal, pretty brush. And hey, you know what? He earned that. And does he tell a great story along the way? Amazing. It's my number five. I mean, that's what memory it. does. We remember those big, wonderful family moments. We re we remember peaks and valleys from our family, and, and so I think, again, if you view it as a memory piece, I like that. I do. The yeah, then the, it, it excuses some of the broader aspects of it, like her exaggerated performance so, and stuff like that. 
I guess what here, it, like I made this comparison on an earlier episode of the show. It's like uh, really easy to compare this movie to its its mirror uh, cousin this year, um, Armageddon Time, and yeah. obviously it's the superior of the two. But Armageddon Time, I feel, was like a little bit more honest and direct. Maybe not as good as a, of a story, clearly not. But Fablemans is more romantic and fantasy like and maybe that's the memory aspect you're talking about people remember things the way they want to yeah i don't know if i agree with that re-armageddon time either to be honest i think armageddon yeah. time is it's another biopic more... of a director though no i mean in terms of it being more honest and direct i'm not mm. sure i agree with that i think in fact i think some elements of armageddon time are deeply dishonest in terms of especially what it does to its lone black character using pretty much only stereotypes to talk about that character. But I think he's doing that a little intentionally. Right. He's saying that's... I never saw this person as, as who they are. Yes. So in other words, I do think that that's embedded in there, but I'm not sure. I'm not sure. I agree that Armageddon time is necessarily that much more realistic, but again, we don't need to compare the two. Uh, we got, we got off track here a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> that's okay. That's the okay. Fablemans, Fablemans. The Fablemans. It, it's going to be yeah. talked about at least one more time um, yeah. on this podcast. So we got more Fablemans coming. My number five pick, uh, words I see in almost every, every review of this film um, and hot takes on it have been bombastic, decadent, extravagant, long, and it's all of those things. At number five, I got Damien Chazelle's Babel. Babel. <laughs> Sorry. I got D Damien Chazelle's Babylon. Me and Brian saw this, I believe, at uh, it was we were at the Music Box Theater. Brian was sitting right behind me. And I am so glad we were able to see it at the Music Box because when that place is uh, packed and it has uh, uh, energy about it, that you just don't get at a normal Cineplex. And it needed, this movie needed that. And I went in and I, it was, I was in the right groove for this movie. It is a party movie. It is a movie that you have to be on the level of energy to uh, almost withstand its, its brute force that it's going to throw at you. Because I, I wrote that it is basically like Wolf of Wall Street, Boogie Nights, and The Artist oh, thrown wow. into a blender. And uh, you pour it out and you get a little bit of uh, Babylon. And I was along for the ride the entire time. If I have one criticism about this movie is that it's like going to see a, a punk band uh, for Matt Kay, going to see a punk band where their energy starts at a 10 and then it never lets up off of that 10. It just goes to 11 and then stays at 11 and then 11 the Sounds whole entire like a way through. Great time to me. I mean, you got to be ready for it because it's going to wear some people out. And I think if you're not going in thinking, hey, this is a party movie, it might not be your thing. But this is the 1920s silent films uh, are, you know, king. Obviously, we haven't gotten to sound yet. And uh, it follows the, the whole industry going. And, and obviously, we got our main character characters here, Margot Robbie and Brad Pitt, obviously being the stars. And... It, it, they go to this lavish party. It's a 30-minute opening scene party that is just off the hook. I mean, it's it's insane. And I, I had this thought when it, the title card came up. I thought if right now the film uh, melted on the projection, even though it probably wasn't film that we were watching, but if it had, hypothetical, I would have been like, don't even need my money back. That was enough for me, man. I mean, 
that was something to behold. And it just goes, um, I'll, I'll also say this is probably the funniest movie I, I had uh, where I laughed the hardest out loud. There is a scene where they get to finally a uh, few years ahead where the, the, the talkies are come in and, and they're sound. This scene where they're doing take after take with Margot Robbie's character, I thought was was gut busting. I, I had a blast with Babylon. And it's a shame that I almost know that Brian didn't like it. But the Music Box Theater, the seats are so close that I could hear Brian's like, <sighs> you, you know this move and i can feel it on my neck it's so close you're so close i could feel it behind me and i could hear <sighs> and i i pictured like he's probably got his arms crossed he's he's just pissed off back there and i'm having a blast i'm laughing out loud i got a beer going i'm well, feeling I'm glad great it didn't take away from your enjoyment <laughs> i'm feeling great and i'm thinking brian's probably so sour right behind me i don't know if you hated the movie or where you land on it but i i don't know if you liked it nearly as much as i did i don't know i am <laughs> i've rarely been so conflicted about a movie and here's what i'll say uh, okay i want to throw a question to you that turned into a little bit of a debate last night at the CFCA awards dinner. Um, do you think Giselle likes these characters? Good question. Um, I think it's a mean movie. I think it's mean and bitter. I could see that. I could see that take on and it. And arguably a little hollow. I actually think he heard the criticisms that La La Land was too sentimental and went, okay, I can go in the other fucking direction and show you something. Like it is just so, I, the first word I thought of was misanthropic. I just don't think it likes the people in it or the industry or any of it. And then, but then, okay, I'm fine. Oh, with I that. think it likes the industry. I think it likes the industry, but well, I, I agree with argument. that. The argument is that it's about the people that the industry will crush, but then you've got that amazing montage at the end. That's kind of like, Hey, wasn't it all worth it? Mm -hmm. Which to me is a little cold and, scary and callous um and the, the the end stuff and i don't want to spoil the movie that's not even out yet but i think he kind of wants to go cynically and i'm okay with that but then he wants to be like but hey aren't movies magical and i, I just want to go i don't know if i can do that I, <laughs> I don't know if i can go from like the depths of the toby Maguire scenes to like hey but we got singing in the rain so it's all okay and that might be his point that might be that the point might be like people had to literally wallow through elephant shit so you could enjoy avatar like mm -hmm. that's arguably the point of the movie i find that a little callous and like hollow and the gene smart has this big long speech to brad pitt about how like hey you're gonna live forever up on the big screen and i wanted to that's when i was sighing because mm -hmm. because that speech is such nonsense pablum garbage like reducing people to what their legacy and memory will be but here's what i'll say um, I have thought about the movie a ton in the last nine days. And usually for me, the movies that end up moving up lists or my grade ends up changing are the ones that I can't get out of my head and I can't quite figure out. And so if he's given us a lot to unpack and he has undeniably given us a technically robust film, like oh, crazy, incredible. Like Literally the, incredible. Design, the score is amazing. There are no bad performances in it. I just, I don't know. I couldn't help shake it was all a hollow exercise in style, but I might be wrong. And so I'm going to couch my opinion on the film. I have a draft of the review that is publishing Monday written. I'm going to watch it again and then perhaps tinker. And that draft is not 
too negative. So mm. I'm not, my size might've been misleading. Uh, Cause like I said, I, but I think those size came from wanting all that technical robustness to be in the service of something that didn't feel so vicious to me. Mm-hmm. Now I know people who don't think Boy, it's Well, you vicious. guys are using a lot of words I like. Punk, yeah. misanthropic, gonna, oh, oh, vicious. Brian, do you agree Matt's going to love this movie? This is a Matt K movie. But Matt has a bigger heart than people might think. Right. I oh, think he thanks. could see it as, I think he could see it as mean. Um, and, and again, something else that I should love, as we talked about personal touch, I mean, my God, Damien Chazelle, has made four films that are all about how what you love will kill you or break you apart and take you down whiplash and first man and this and even la la land are like chase those dreams but you're gonna regret it <laughs> so like <laughs> like and so i find that interesting and i'll say this i've got that review ready i plan to watch it again i could end up loving it because it mm-hmm. is something i clearly have to still wrap my brain around, which usually are the movies that last that you have yep. to keep trying to wrap your brain around. So those size might've been misleading. I might, I haven't decided where I'm going to be yet. Babylon mm-hmm. will open up everywhere uh, around Christmas. So jawheads do check it out. Let us know what you Next think. Next Friday, yep. 23rd. Into our fours we go, Brian. Whew. Um, are we going to do Banshees now or should we wait till Matt, it gets on Matt's list. <laughs> Banshees of Sharon is my number four. Um, a really wonderful film that honestly my top four are amazingly interchangeable. I've reached a point with my top four where I could <laughs> shuffle them and put them in any order I wanted to. I don't feel that strongly. I think they're, they're the four movies of the year I will remember the most. We could talk so, about it more when it, when it comes up on my list. And, sure. and it, it, Let's it, do that. It, all right. Um, cool. Then it, then it brings us to, to, to my next pick and I'm going with one that, the reason why I shuffled this along is because I'm sure I'm going to get a lot of guff for this one. Um, here's what I wrote in my roof. To those who have criticized this film as meh, you have missed the entire point of the movie. Like American Beauty, it finds the sublime in the mundane. Yes, dealing with mental illness and racism are both serious topics, but they are also, sadly, everyday occurrences. And these are everyday people just dealing with everyday problems in the real world. And I'm talking about Another movie about movies, Empire of Light. Wow, this is a stunner as a top 10, yeah. I think. I'm blown is, away. I, <laughs> I know I am on an island with Empire of Strangely, right? Trent Reznor, Atticus Ross score, Colin Thanks, Firth and Olivia Coleman in, in, in the cast. Sam Mendes, who's, who's extremely solid, yeah. usually critically acclaimed. People love him. The cinematography yeah, right deacons yeah. it had all the 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 ingredients of the perfect recipe for some reason it just missed a lot of people but not this one i fucking loved it 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 has just the right amount of sadness and stark beauty and the story i think that's that is the whole thrust of my review is that people are criticizing it for being meh or or kind of bland and I think that's the point. That's what he is trying to say with the movie is like, this is just life. This is just a, an average uh, movie theater, slightly aging. They're trying their best to keep its legacy going. And it's just people dealing with day-to-day crap and it, nothing extraordinary about them. Their lives intersect. They have a moment. They share something together. And, and then they, they, they move apart and 
Yeah, it, it doesn't need to explore the themes of racism. It doesn't need to explore mental illness. Those are part of our lives and we explore them plenty in other art. That's not what this was about. When does it become manipulative exploitation when it uses racism and mental illness as average everyday things and does it explore them with think with honesty? No, no, not no, at when, all. In other words, if you when put, does it if you put a hate crime in a film like the mm -hmm. race riots at the end of this, you have a responsibility to treat it as more than just everyday mundane stuff. Why? When it is when it is just everyday mundane stuff. Because uh, you're using it for emotional manipulation. Every every piece of every story is being used for emotional manipulation. Not if it's treated honestly, which I don't think it is here. Uh, of course it is. That honestly happened in in 1980s uh, London or uh, wherever they were, Brighton, the south coast of uh, the UK. Okay. I think it's dishonest to see that through the middle-aged white woman's eyes instead of the community that it happened to, including the quote unquote, we've all heard this phrase, magical Negro who helps her find her place. He has no arc and he no character. Her. Uh, he I, helps her find uh, the love of movies at the end. He I, does. I, no, like, I'll push back. Yeah. Uh, nah, not at all. I'll push back. Their, their friendship. Then what's the what's, arc? Who's? What's the story then? It's huh? it's not dishonest because it's a middle-aged white woman. She's she, she's the subject of, of the film. That that but, is yeah. honest. She had an honest friendship with a, with a black guy who was younger than her. Why is it have? Why does it have to be his story? It's not you his story. Least, it's her you story. Have to at least give him a character. You can't who use says? him for his. You can't because you can't just because then that that basically uses him for his race and his role. He no, needs no, no, to no. be three dimensional. He, he was very three dimensional. We meet no, his mom. We find no. out. Oh, I disagree. I I in fact really connected with his character. Uh, I thought Michael Ward did a fantastic job with the role and the character of Steven, I thought was very three-dimensional. We learn about his empathy. We learn about his relationship with his mom. We learn about his, his love of music, his history in terms of his, uh, his goals, his education, his past. He's a three-dimensional character. Is he the main character? No. Is it about the, the, the racist attack on him? No, the story's, that happens in the story. That is not the, the climax point. of the film. It's the climax Still, of the film. Doesn't mean it's the point. Then it becomes exploitation to use it as the climax of the film. I would argue no, but I realize maybe I shouldn't be the person to argue no, but it's, 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 I think Sam Mendes knows what he's doing and it is a fine story. I don't know, man. I let, loved it. Let me love, break love, up. Loved it. Let me break up the fight with just saying exactly what we said because we reviewed this last week. Was uh, it, all the things, all the pieces are there for a great film as far as the uh, the talent. Um, and it, I just never connected to anything in this movie. I didn't. I didn't connect emotionally. Uh, intellectually to any of these characters and it felt very cold to me the entire film oh, I, I, I thought that it was a complete miss and that's why I was stunned when you gave it four jaws last week and now I mean I'm double stunned that it's uh, on your top 10 list but uh hats off to you Matt for putting it on there. we're getting we're getting <laughs> to the same point which is that you need it needs to feel genuine for those kind of things to matter for the issues that it's playing with to matter and if you're just going to say well it's everyday life then I can't figure out what the point of the film is I think it's a character study. That's okay. I, I really think it's that's what it is. It's it's a study in space and character. 
It, it's okay. really about the theater and the and the and the human beings flowing through that in that particular chunk of time. I give you that. And sites gave it three stars with that argument. So he at least kind of liked it at our site and with the idea that it's about the people flowing in and out of the theater. In that sense, if that was his goal, I wish it was more of a genuine ensemble piece that we went home with Firth and we went home with Ward and we really made it an ensemble piece about the people working in that theater. Then I think you might have had a better film. I think what's good here, cardboard what's cutouts. good here is that my number four pick we can go over very quickly because this is where I have Steven Spielberg's The Fablemans. And I'll just highlight something that we didn't talk about when it came up before. And that's just how good this film is crafted. Uh, yeah. Spielberg is, is excellent in everything that he does. But the one scene of him discovering his mom's infidelity while he's editing the film uh, interlaced with her playing the piano is just a thing of beauty. And, and, and he pur- pulls it off so effortlessly um, and there's, there's so many moments and flourishes throughout this film that, that just proves what an absolute master Spielberg is at the art form. So I just want to highlight outside of just the emotional stuff and, and, you know, looking through the family as, uh, you know, in, in memories and so forth, just the actual craftsmanship yeah. of the Fablemans needs to be noted as well, because it is from start to finish, just an incredible looking film. And so well told. So my number four pick, Steven Spielberg's The Fablemans. My number three. So we might as well just blend the conversation together here. And we should we should do a little research. I wish we could on the number of films that made all three of our top tens. Made all three of our top fives. What was it for mm-hmm. you, Matt? What what number was it for you, Matt? The Fablemans. Yeah, uh, Fablemans was my number five. Yeah. A film that made all three of our top fives, that might be a first. Like, that has not happened very often at all. Um, we'd have to go back and look. Uh, yeah, we've all, we've said a lot about it already. I think it's a great movie. I think it's somehow become actually underrated. Like, it's fallen off a lot of lists. The CFC only nominated it for two awards, not pick and not director. So it's kind mm. of become... Yeah, I don't know. I think some people just aren't responding to it. I think it, it didn't do well at the box office either. No, um, no. Um, kind of shocking. Yeah, it's a tough sell. It's a tough sell period piece with Michelle Williams and Paul Dano are your biggest stars. It's like, I think, I also think it was poorly advertised. Like people couldn't really tell what it was. Mm-hmm. Um, it, I mean, it looked like more of like, uh, it's, hard, it's hard to tell what it was. And I, I think, uh, yeah, I think it's great. We, we've talked enough about yep. it. I think it's really phenomenal. Yeah, it's Steven Spielberg not doing war or blockbuster or fantasy adventure. So not to say that he doesn't function well in, in just about any genre, but yeah, it's, it is a tough sell, and I don't think it was advertised well. Yeah. Yeah, but I think it's great. I think people will come around to it. They drop it on Peacock or something. People will watch it and be surprised at how much it works. And um I love it. Like I said, my top four are almost interchangeable. There are times where this was my number one. So I think it's great. So does that get it, get it to my number three? Yes, it does, Matt. All right. This is where I have R, R, R. Oh, okay. (laughs) I mean, we, I don't think we mentioned the, uh, the whole piggyback motif that that, (laughs) is insane. That keeps reoccurring, but when <laughs> at the end, the final sequence, when they're escaping, I, I don't want to spoil it because if you haven't seen RRR, it doesn't matter. It, it is so worth just watching right away. But like now, yeah, like pause, 
watch it and come back. <laughs> seriously, seriously. I don't want to give anything away. I'll just say that uh, there's two characters who are escaping something and one is giving the other a piggyback and best piggyback sequence of all time. I mean, can you think of a better one? It's amazing teamwork in that, in that yes. sequence. Uh, and I think I said earlier, the best bromance on film, but no, this is the best bromance maybe of all time on film. It's Wonderful. remarkable. Such like a I great said, movie. It's all the movies. It's all the movies. It's bonkers in, in the best possible way. And it just works. It's, it's like music. Yeah. It's like music. Yeah. This is one of those movies. Like I said, it's, it's hard to watch it and not like it no matter, no matter what, uh, what age you are, you're going to like this movie. Um, my number three pick, unlike Brian Tallarico, I only have one foreign language film on my list and it comes in at number three saw this one at toronto uh, a, a master of cinema i would say park chan wook is and he gave us oh, yeah. this year decision to leave and uh, i know we were very big fans of this one matt uh when we reviewed it and i i think what was great is that he gives us this great love story wrapped inside a detective story and the story of this detective investigating a man's death in the mountains he ends up meeting and developing feelings for the dead man's uh, mysterious wife. I found the investigation part of the movie fascinating and intriguing. I was completely involved in that, especially when they get down to how many steps um, were on this phone. I loved some of these, these beats in the movie. But the central theme that I think uh, attracted me so much to the, the film was the love story between the detective and the dead man's uh, a wife that basically has uh, two mystery deaths involved in this film. And you're giving it the biggest praise when you say it reminds you of a Hitchcock film. And you're even giving it more praise when you say Vertigo. And it definitely gives you those vibes in all of the good ways. The cinematography here is absolutely beautiful. Um, it was a story that had me guessing on exactly where it was going, which I, love when you see a lot of movies a year like we all do um a lot of times you you feel like we know where this is going and it's just how are we going to get there this was a film i didn't have that feeling for i was completely sitting there like a a, a novice in the theater like where is this going this is incredible and i love that feeling that he was able to install that into me again um i don't know is this playing i don't know where this is playing on I movie right down. now m-u-b-i which is a streaming service kind of like criterion channel like a highbrow streaming service my, that you can get it on right now. My, my question for you, Brian, is you have five foreign language films and you couldn't squeeze on to decision to leave. I What's like it a lot. I think it's kind of minor park. I like park a lot. I like his films. I think this one, while I agree with everything you said and I do like it, this is that weird time of year where liking a movie isn't enough. You know what I mean? It's like, well, why isn't it in your top 10? Well, I still like it. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like sometimes you have to defend movies you like. Yeah, I got to see this at the, I, I keep telling the story, the music box, they played it for me. It was like a private screening. It was great. Humble it was always, brag. It was, yeah, humble <laughs> brag. It'll never happen again. So um, it was like a, uh, there's always in, impropriety in his films. You know, there's always some sort of like um, yeah. taboo breaking. Yeah. In, in every one of us, it, it's at least stuck with those themes. I liked it a lot too. Brian, I'm on your page with this one. It was, it was a great movie. I liked it, but it didn't make my top 15. 
That was my number three decision to leave. Brings us into our twos, Brian. After Sun, which we've already talked about pretty significantly, and I too am deeply emotionally moved by. I too wept during the dance scene. I think it is a remarkable piece about memory. And again, similar theme this year, Fableman's has it too, but this one's more directly surreally about trying to understand your parents uh, in ways you couldn't when you were younger. Um, it's stunning that it's a debut. One of the best debuts I would say of the last decade. Um, wow. It won our award last night for the best debut film. It is a breathtakingly confident piece of work, the way it's structured. Like, like you said, you don't really know what it is for the longest time. I, w- I was watching it with my wife here and like 45 minutes into the movie, she was like, I don't know what this movie's doing. Like it kind of, it Same. plays with you. You don't really know where it's going. And then it gets to that scene where she basically, with the use of an amazing song that we haven't mentioned. So I guess yeah, we won't spoil. I don't want to spoil it. Yeah. Don't spoil uh, it. But, but the use of that specific song and the lyrics of that song in this dreamlike sequence that didn't really happen, but maybe something kind of similar happened. You can feel the filmmaker and the child and the characters and all of it coming together in this moment of like reclamation of, I can now understand a little better as I become a parent, as I get older, I can understand a little better what my parents were going through when they were younger, uh, that maybe they weren't ready for parenthood when they had me, that maybe they were hiding things from me. It's got all of those kinds of issues in a really remarkable piece that it will stand the test of time. Yeah. Well said. Well said. It it is, it is truly a a, a hidden gem because I say hidden because I don't know how many people are able to see this movie. It's I know it's playing in like limited release. Um, Jawheads, it's high on my list, high on Brian Talrico's list. Definitely check out After Sun. It's an A24. See all A24s. Um, yeah. Less, less and less these days. But uh, don't don't come on, come don't on. see men. I know. All right, Matt, you're number two. My number two is Banshees of Inishirin. It is, uh, this, this is what I wrote, one sentence from my review. Isolation, rejection, nihilism, and self-mutilation have never been funnier. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think you can pretty much sum it up, That put that on the, slap it on the back of the uh, DVD case. Just such a jet black comedy. So, uh, like, just like, squid ink black dripping off the screen sardonic comedy it was it was just delectable i don't know i i loved loved the movie like the 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 more uh horrible the characters felt the funnier i thought it was like i got the joke early and enjoyed it even more as the stakes went up and the fingers started flying and it was beautiful to boot. I mean, that countryside, holy crap. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Just, what a setting. just a, a dream. And the, and the period of it and uh, the entire cast. I mean, you said it earlier, Ryan, that I think those, those guys should get together and make a movie every decade or maybe every five years. Don't, don't make us wait so long for the next one. Yeah. It's a movie that I love because of how many different levels it can be appreciated on. 
Like you can just enjoy it as a comedy or you can ask yourself why he sets it during the Irish Civil War and how it's kind of about civil wars and people who were once friends and neighbors now being enemies that lead to violence. You For can sure. ask yourself, you can ask yourself why he made it now at a time in our culture where it feels like we're imminently in a civil war and neighbors are starting to hate each other and fighting over masks and presidencies. I do think it's a very current film, even though it played, uh, it takes place a hundred years ago. It feels like he's dealing with modern themes as he always, in all of his movies, he's kind of doing something a little deeper than it first looks. And I think you, it's the kind of movie, in other words, you can just laugh at it or you can unpack it and talk about it for like hours. Uh, the ensemble is perfect. There's not a single bad performance in it, and it might have it has four of the best of the year in its main four characters. Um, I agree. And then there's like then there's like the idea. I watched it again the other night because I wrote our entry for it on the site. It's our number one film of the year at RogerEbert.com, and I wanted to rewatch it. And I was struck by the idea that Colm's decision actually does have some positive impact. Shaban probably wouldn't have left that island ever if not for the chaos that his decision caused caused and she goes off and starts her own life and does her own she thing she just couldn't take it so, anymore yeah right and so the idea of this rip and and but, but on the other end that, on the other end of the spectrum there's dark stuff that happens in this movie that might not have otherwise happened uh without his decision so it's about ripple effects of choices um and so yeah it's one of those movies i love i think everyone those are the movies that last the movies that like hey, I can enjoy this superficially on a Saturday night after I've had a few, or I can sit around and talk about it for four hours and what it's trying to do. And this yes. is definitely one of those movies. Those are the yeah, best. it is. Those really are the best. Yeah, yeah, agree. My number two pick hasn't come up tonight. It, it, it must be Brian's number one. I'm trying to figure it out right here uh, in real time. But my number two pick is uh, Todd Field's uh, third film, Tar. And Kate um, Blanchett, one of the best actresses alive today maybe even one of the best actresses of all time in my opinion gives probably her best performance to date and she plays Lydia Tarr here the world-renowned conductor who has been elevated to this high pedestal by her peers and classical uh musical industry as a whole has been put up there and Fields then examines how much a person of her power can get away with and how people react or fail to react as news comes out of her misconduct. This may sound crazy, but I was on the edge of my seat for most of this movie, completely engrossed me by the character and the world she inhabits. I loved Lydia Tarr, and I know when we talked about it here on Cinema Jaw, I said, if this was a male character, this would have been played by Daniel Day-Lewis. And here we get Kate Blanchett and the idea of casting a female character, um, having her be gay, all very important because we don't want to get into the, the gender specifics of exactly um, the cancel culture and everything that is going on, um, again, with looking at it through the, the eye of gender. By putting this character and making her female, we can really focus on um, the person's rise to uh, power and then all of the people around that person and how they're implicated in not raising a finger, not raising a hand and saying, hey, this is wrong or taking too long or worried about the effect that uh, th this person's fall from grace is going to have on the whole industry and maybe the what they do uh, within that industry and how that is reciprocal and why we have these problems with uh, these high powered people um, 
basically abusing their power and also not even realizing it because they've been lifted up like a god in in their little bubble that they they exist in such as uh Lydia Tarr and we see her fall from grace in in absolutely stunning performance by Kate Blanchett and the music's great uh has multiple great scenes especially one where she is in the college and she goes off on a student I need to rewatch it because I, I didn't realize that it may have been only one take uh, without yeah, an it's edit. Yeah. It is stunning. It was like one of those like 10 minutes in, I was like, wait a minute, has there been an edit here? This is this is literally incredible. Um, I need to rewatch that one as well, but, but Tar, my number two pick. And, the, and then later in the film, that sequence is recut into something that's going to bring her down that leads to mm-hmm. her fall. And it's right. heavily edited. Right. So he's 100%. showing you a wonder version of this. And then he and then you see like a crazy edit chronologically back and forth version, which I think is very intentional. Like mm-hmm. you, we've experienced this in real time. And now here's the chopped up social version. Yeah. Um, I agree. I hadn't thought about the fact that it needs to be a woman. I think if it was a man that it would have felt more like the castigation of cancel culture in me too. Like 100%. almost like, yeah, I don't think that would have worked as well. Yeah, um, I, it, I'm so glad, you know, that it, that it was a uh, a woman. I think then that we can examine other things that that Todd Fields was interested in talking about and examining. Um, I, I love Tar. I was just a massive fan. My favorite films of the year are often the ones again that I can't shake that I think about a lot, and they're often the ones where I can really see the craft. Like, there's not a single decision that wasn't considered. There's not a single shot that was. Uh, we see so many movies that I would call lazy. You know what I mean? Where like things were thrown together at the last minute or weren't considered. And every aspect of Tar, every shot, every line, every choice was so carefully considered. It's my number one. It's my number one film of the year. Oh, wow. Um, I think, like I said, it's. I find it haunting, especially with the new new interpretations of the end. Have we heard this? Have we all seen the movie? No, I haven't Matt seen has it yet. Not. Yeah. Oh. There's a really good theory that the last third of the movie doesn't happen. It's all in her head. Mm. And 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 there's a piece on Slate, right, that you should look up. That really kind of and I it's something I had actually considered before the piece because there's a lot of horror movie language in this movie. Like there's a metronome that she keeps finding in the middle and right. Like and the there's words, an undertone horror for sure. 100%. Oh my god. Well, this scene yeah. there's this there's a scene where she follows a girl um oh, down yeah. into like a basement almost. And the theory is that that's when nothing after that actually happens she's imagining what could happen to her via cancel culture because after that the horror movie language picks up um he literally uses a scream from blair witch project at one point have you heard this no he uses audio from the end of blair witch project she hears a scream in the park do you remember that scene she hears yes. like a woman scream it's heather from blair witch project he hasn't confirmed it but he hasn't denied it enough that we all think it it is that and <laughs> and people have like played the audios next to each other so he's screwing with things in a way that i find riveting like i love a movie where like like the end of taxi driver there's arguments over whether or not that actually happens like where we can like dissect if what we're watching move we, we talk about this almost every year, the idea that film is a visual medium and that it does things that other things can't do. My favorite movies are always movies, almost always movies that can't, that wouldn't be the same in book or play or TV form. 
to get back to that whole argument. Tar is a film. It only works the way it works as a film. And that's one of the reasons I admire it so much and everything you said. And it, I think it's, again, my top four are super interchangeable, but today it's Tar. Wow. Hell tar, yeah. my number two. Brian Tallarico's number one. Do you guys is... have the same one? There's a movie we haven't mentioned that yes, I think might is... be the same. Yeah. 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 I, I, I had a feeling because obviously we do the podcast and we, we yeah. reviewed this movie and, and I felt that it would probably be Matt's number one as well. I think I, Matt I, knows my number one. Uh, I'm I surprised it wasn't. if this was on no one's list. <laughs> same. Same, same, yeah. same. Can, can we say it at the same time, Matt? Our number one film of the year? Sure. Phil, is it your number one movie of the year? Yeah, Brian, you're on the wrong show. <laughs> All three of us love this movie. I so have, we can, honestly, like that this isn't on your ten is crazy. To me. It is absolutely crazy. None we we might 20. have to. We None might have to 30. look. Oh wow. my God, Brian, he missed the boat on this one. What's our number one, guys? It's everything, everything, everything everywhere, everywhere, all at all once. At once. <laughs> Wow. Okay. If only so, we said all of that all at once. Right. You know? Well, but that you know what that actually kind of makes sense. Uh, here's here's what I, Brian, you're a big fan of um, fan theories and alternate interpretations of film. Not that this one is incredibly rare. I'm sure it's been talked about. I'm sure it's been said. But when I saw this movie, I felt seen. Um, I suffer from ADD severely. And it's very difficult to visualize what ADD feels like. But this movie, watching this movie, that is what ADD feels like. It is everything, everywhere, all at once. And holy shit, not only is that like made me feel so represented and validated, it also was just a wild, fun ride. Like... Hot dogs for fingers, uh, the <laughs> raccoons in hats, and all of the bonkers, bonkers imagery, the rock scene, everything about it was just tremendous, tremendous. The Daniels are geniuses. I, I can't wait to see what they come up with next. I, I agree as well. And and for all the bonkers that this movie is, um, I love the, the, for instance, the action sequences that came out of nowhere with the, uh, fanny pack. I mean, I, I there's so many <laughs> absolutely tremendous moments that stand on their own, but at the heart of it, the thing that connected to me, and I mean, honestly, I, I hadn't had a moment like this in the movie theater where a movie just hit me in the heart and felt like this was my movie in 10, 15 years. Um, I, I would say it was this idea that sometimes it's tough to articulate uh, your your feelings towards something, but that the Daniels were able to put this in art form and and express it and and let others understand it that way, where you know the the human experience can be viewed as so insignificant and at the same exact time the most beautiful thing in the world is so difficult, I think, to show on screen and somehow inside this insanely ridiculous movie that has hot dog fingers and butt plugs and weirdest shit that you've ever seen at the heart of it they can still have this message of how insignificant and beautiful we all are is i mean i was i was so moved by this movie i came home and like i said i was pacing the room thinking i just saw one of the great films of all time and i, I still stand by that it Spoiler alert, if we're still doing this movie, 
in seven years and we're ending the decade, this is probably going to be in my top five of the decade. It's going to take something to really unseat this thing. It, it was that strong of a movie for me. Phil has not spoken this whole show, and I know Phil wants to talk about this movie as well. I think also, like, we're tiptoeing. I, so I think 2022 was a reflexive year for a lot of people, just given, like, the movies that came out. I think a lot of us are questioning why we love the people we love, and it really sounds like most of us kind of hate the people we love, and that's what makes us love them so much. And for me, <laughs> I mean, again, like, yes, Randy Newman as Rakakuni is like the greatest thing that's ever happened probably uh but <laughs> and brings me so much joy but i think something for me personally right we're talking about um after sun and the fablemans and the relationship you have the fractured relationship you have with your family i think for me personally everything everywhere all at once and I understand positionality in this, and I know I bring this up every year in my number ones, but it is a part of my identity, right? Like, my stupid, irritating, invalidating, immigranty Japanese father, I have rebuilt the relationship I have with this man because of seeing, like, that's just what yellow people do, right? Like, the man is an immigrant. I, I accept the judgment and criticisms that come that way right my father constantly telling me that i'm too fat and saying that i don't reach out enough and and always having these issues with me uh it, that validation right in terms of what matt was speaking to with adhd i think that representationality of this immigrant family is also super super important and i think um yeah it's just a great film i i think it it nails those family structures perfectly i i have not met a uh, second generation Asian person who does not understand exactly what's being said. Uh, and I think it, yeah, it, it does so in like a way that's simultaneously like so weirdly like borderline where you're going from these mood swings of crying immensely at this rock scene to like laughing out loud at like the <laughs> jumping and, onto yeah. a butt plug seat. Like mm -hmm. it, and and so masterfully in in a very natural organic and fluid yeah like yeah sometimes life just feels like that it, and that, one that other high thing to highlight on this film is i was talking about the, the the craft with the fablemans this is a movie that is actually could be very difficult for people to understand oh um, yeah exactly what's going on and for the Daniels to, to, I remember watching about like 30, somewhere around that 30 to 40 minute mark, like, oh man, I hope I'm going to get this. And for it to all click so easily that I could enjoy it on the level that they wanted to enjoy, I think is, needs to be applauded as well. They, they did, they just nailed it on this thing. They did right in the nick of time too. Yeah. Brian, you're alone on this one. I, I don't know. Uh, you, you gotta feel you gotta people. feel cold sitting out on this one. This is the you year. This is the year of this one. Are out of your minds if you think I'm gonna after those beautiful speeches say anything <laughs> negative about this movie. And I'm actually I mean that. We like, should let you go first. <laughs> no, the I do think I'm gonna get a little emotional talking about it because I think the fact that it speaks to your ADD and that it speaks to your immigrant experience or second generation immigrant experience. I find that very powerful and moving. And I love that people have this impression that like 
critics want people to agree with them. Like, oh, I found a flaw in something and you have to find it too. That's nonsense. If you love a movie, that's great. I want you to love a movie and I want a movie to speak to you. And I'm so happy that this movie spoke to the three of you more than it did to me. And that's fantastic. I mean, maybe it's because I'm an editor, so I'm constantly editing reviews I don't necessarily agree with. And I just want to hear the passionate voice of the person who took something out of the movie. And you three clearly took something major out of this movie. And I will not say a negative word about it. <laughs> we'll let you off the hook. All that right. was good. That yeah. was good. Actually, well said. Well said. For sure. Um, to be honest, Brian's letting us off the hook because I wouldn't listen anyways. I know. We, we would have pulled the plug and edited them. Speaking of editing, <laughs> we would just edit it right out of there anyways. Oh, man. Brings us to the end. We have gone long. We'll, we'll, we? we'll put yeah. our We'll put our 11 through 15 on for our Patreons um, because we'll, we'll read those off really quick and put them on for Patreon. But uh, it's been a hell of a year, guys, uh, reviewing films. First and foremost, got to thank our guest who comes on all the time, every year doing this with us. And it is the highlight of my movie year. I'm not even joking. Brian, thanks for doing this. It's an honor, guys. I really enjoy it, too. I think, um, I mean, again, I might get a little emotional here. I think we've all come a long way since those early years. I think we all are really seeing film in interesting this one particularly, I think we talked about a lot of movies that struck us in emotional ways. I think maybe the pandemic or something, we're all ready to see ourselves represented in everything everywhere or see our dad in After Sun or like just to see something that touches us differently than the pandemic Tiger King nonsense we watched for two years. Like we're ready to do that power of film thing again to get cheesy. And I'm happy to be a part of it with you guys. The honor awesome. is ours, sir. Yeah, well Absolutely. said. We got to thank our editor, our producer, Phil Me and Phil. Oh, yeah, I'm far more crass than Brian. I just love having a good time. I'm three shots of my Lord in. I'm red as a hot dog. This is <laughs> what a way to celebrate a good year, right? You did turn a couple it. of shades redder. Yeah, <laughs> I love it. Matt, we should thank the sponsor. Yeah, thank you to Cracking the Code of Spy Movies. Uh, appreciate you guys. Let me throw something out real quick. Before the pandemic, do, it, do it. Yeah, yeah. The 10th anniversary of the Chicago Critics Film Festival is in May at the Music Box. We already have the craziest shit planned, and it's only getting crazier by the day. We are going to blow this up for the 10th year in May at the Music Box. Be there. I'll be there. Hell yeah. We'll put a link. Uh, is there is there a page for it yet? No. Chicago Critics Film Festival. Okay. Dot com. We'll throw we the link put a page in the... in the show notes. Yeah, for sure. Definitely, for sure. And uh, if you want to join us on Patreon, it is very simple. It's patreon.com slash cinemajaw. Join us there. Until next week, until next year, Matt, I'm Ryan the Movie Guy. And I'm Matt K. And keep, and keep on, on John about, about the movies. movies.